social media, particularly in the last few years, has shown us that it's very easy to move stocks in one direction or another direction just by planting false information. Welcome to Briefly, a production of the University of Chicago Law Review. Today we'll be talking about the Kardashians, kind of. We'll be discussing social media influencers and their effect on market manipulation. In February 2018, Kylie Jenner tweeted out that she no longer used the popular social media app Snapchat. The next day, Snapchat's stock sank 6.1%. Some commentators have noted that the current state of SEC and FTC regulation leaves room for influencers to manipulate the market. Here to help us discuss this topic are Anna Pinedo and Professor James Cox. Anna Pinedo is a partner in Mayor Brown's New York office and a member of the firm's corporate and securities practice. She is also an adjunct professor at George Washington University School of Law, and she received her JD from none other than the University of Chicago Law School. Professor Cox is the Brainerd Curry Professor of Law at Duke Law School. He specializes in corporate and securities law, and he has published extensively in the areas of market regulation and corporate governance. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So why don't we get started with some basic background information for our listeners who aren't as familiar with this area. Let's start with the Federal Trade Commission. What is the FTC and what does it do? Uh, The Federal Trade Commission is uh, a government agency that, among other things, is responsible for enforcing regulations and laws relating to the accuracy of how brands and products are marketed and advertised. How is the FTC's mission relevant when it comes to social media influencers? What kind of special issues do influencers pose and why should the FTC potentially regulate them? Well, oftentimes influencers, without perhaps realizing the the sphere of influence, will post um, somewhat informally because the internet allows for or encourages a certain measure of informality and communications. And influencers may make certain claims about how effective a product is or the results that a product can achieve. And those may be at odds with um, FTC regulations about uh, the extent to which claims have to be qualified or proven accurate before they can be publicly made. And so what does the FTC currently require of social media influencers? Are there any indications that the FTC is going to increase its regulation or enforcement? I would say that at this point, it's unclear. It's also an area that's very difficult to monitor, given the proliferation of commentary on the internet about products and services. Um, But at the very least, to the extent that a company is paying for an endorsement, by a social media celebrity, it should be made clear that it is a paid endorsement. So when the FTC is trying to regulate in this sphere, are they more likely to go after the brand specifically, or are they going to go after uh, specific social media influencers? I think that it's more likely than not that the FTC will go after the brands and will reiterate its existing guidance that if there are paid testimonials or endorsements, then there has to be disclosure regarding the fact that a particular celebrity has been paid to endorse a product. Let's also talk about the Securities and Exchange Commission. What does the SEC do and how is it relevant to regulating social media influencers? 
So the Securities and Exchange Commission is the principal regulatory agency that's responsible for enforcing the securities laws and ensuring the integrity of the securities market. Um, so the SEC has a tri-party mission. It's intended to promote capital formation, uh, ensure the transparency and the integrity of, of markets in the United States, and then finally, investor protection, ensure that investors are receiving adequate disclosures so they can make decisions about securities offerings. And how is their mission related to social media influencers? What kind of concerns does the SEC have when it comes to social media posting? Well, there's several concerns that the SEC has. First off, to the extent that a person is receiving compensation in connection with trying to promote the sales of securities, that person may be acting as an unregistered finder. And persons in the United States who are paid to sell securities have to be appropriately licensed and registered. So that's one set of concerns. The other set of concerns is that social media influencers may make claims that are exaggerated, that involve an element of puffery, and may not be fair and balanced. So a lot of the statements may not be accurate and potential investors may rely on the statements made by social media influencers, given they're pretty well known um, as uh, an endorsement or a recommendation to purchase the securities that are being offered. I didn't realize that there's actually been some high-profile cases of the SEC already settling charges with some well-known celebrities for disclosure violations. Specifically, the SEC settled charges with uh, boxer Floyd Mayweather Jr. and music producer DJ Khaled for failing to disclose payments they received in promoting an initial coin offering for cryptocurrencies on their social media accounts could you discuss a little bit about what happened with those celebrities? Sure. So an area of focus recently for the SEC's enforcement division has uh, involved initial coin offerings and other cryptocurrency-related transactions. And so I think that the SEC chose in particular to focus on the activities of these two social media influencers in the initial coin area because it is a very retail-oriented um, securities offering, and social media influencers that are highly prominent can certainly encourage investors or appear to be recommending an investment in securities. So when we talk about market manipulation with social media influencers, what exactly are we talking about? Well, I think what we're worried about is we've, in the last 10 years, expanded dramatically the means of communication. And any aggressive, avaricious investor, which includes all investors, will be accessing all kinds of sources, many more sources than we had before, and doing much more quickly. That is, it's instantaneous, it's real time. And so the opportunities for misinformation, as we've seen in happening in the 2016 election that we fear is going to happen in 2020, well, that's happening probably on a daily basis uh, in our capital markets. And this is an important issue that we'd like to have these capital markets being uh, not only efficient in how they price stocks and how low cost it is to trade, but we'd like to have real information 
not fantasy information. And so the social media, uh, and particularly in the last few years, has shown us that it's very easy to move stocks in one direction or another direction just by planting false information. Uh, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg in terms of who actually does this. But uh, uh, information that's been gathered by researchers, which we can talk about later, has shown that this is um, epidemic. It's wide scale. And in fact, the estimate puts it at probably in a uh, eight-year period, 2010 to 2017, puts the estimate somewhere around over $20 billion of mispricing of securities. So that means mispricing of securities, who's harmed? Well, it, it, to some extent, it may be viewed as a zero-sum game. If, if I paid too much, then somebody else got more. And so social calculus, everything's fine. That's not correct if everybody suddenly realizes that the market's being manipulated or maybe subject to manipulation. Then you cause different levels of pricing to occur that would have happened if they didn't have that fear. And markets, in their function of allocating capital, depend upon having faith and confidence in securities markets. So what happened with Kylie Jenner is she had tweeted out that she no longer used Snapchat and she's so popular that the next day Snapchat stock fell about 6%. So some had suggested that if she had a put option ahead of her tweet, she could have gained quite a bit. Could you explain just to our listeners what exactly is a put option and how commentators think someone like Kylie Jenner could manipulate the market in the future through her postings? Well, a put option is one of many, uh, literally hundreds if not thousands of forms of what we call a derivative. And it operates this way. It means that for a uh, a modest price, uh, she could buy the right, if she chose to exercise it, to require somebody on the other side of the transaction to buy that security. Uh, so what she did was, let's say the stock that she's particularly thinking about was selling at 10 currently. And she had a right to then put that stock to somebody and say, I'm going to put this to you at 10 or maybe even $9.90. Uh, I'll pay you if you'll take the other side of this option. So I would buy that option if this uh, stock is currently trading at 10. And the option price would be at 990. Because I may think the stocks are going to 11, or even if it stayed at 10 and the option price was 10, I'd think I'll stay there because you pay me money because I think the stock's going to go up. So she bought a put option with the knowledge that she was then going to engage in behavior that would drive the stock price down, and then allow her when that happened to force me to buy it at let's say nine dollars and ninety cents. When the stock was already at nine dollars in that case, so that that's how she could make money. So obviously, you know, Kylie Jenner and other influencers and celebrities don't have securities and disclosure violations on the top of their mind when they're posting something on social media accounts. So with that in mind, how do you think the FTC and SEC will react to educate social media influencers because they're obviously highly influential advertisers? I think there's a, a challenge in trying to regulate speech on social media channels. And I think that it's more likely that regulators will put the emphasis on the companies that are paying for these types of endorsements 
and also how companies are using or reprinting and repurposing um, social media comments. So I think that there are two different categories to think about. One category is where a company that may be a U.S. public company with a stock that trades on the New York Stock Exchange, let's say, hires celebrities and pays them to endorse a product. So clearly, um, there is a burden on the company's part to educate the person that they've recruited as a, a brand ambassador, for example, to ensure that the posts are, are truthful, are fair, are balanced, don't make claims that are inconsistent with um, the product's actual function. So that's one thing. There is also the slightly more complex aspect of it, which is that under the U.S. securities laws, a company that adopts or reprints a post, let's say, by a third person is taking liability or is taking the burden of um, standing behind what that tweet post uh, has to say. And so a company certainly can be can, can face liability under the U.S. securities laws for adopting or endorsing comments made by third parties. And I think that is an area that public companies need to be focused on. And I know you can't obviously talk about specific clients, but have you seen this issue come up in your practice at all? Yes, absolutely. Companies, as they uh, become better known, as they approach the public markets, are very focused on having a social media policy on educating their own employees. Because today, while we're focused on social media influencers, a lot of the same issues come up with um, employees of a company who might very excitedly post about the company or their products on their own social media accounts, and that can have repercussions. So companies are certainly being much more attentive to educating their employee base regarding social media usage and uh, appropriate or inappropriate usage of social media for business purposes. As well, companies usually have someone that monitors, and oftentimes that's many people, many teams or outside providers that monitor their various social media platforms and what is being said about them and about their products. I didn't even think of that. So what kind of repercussions if an employee, if employees are going and excitedly posting about a company's product, what kind of blowback can that have on companies specifically? Are there securities implications or FTC implications? So there's certainly securities law implications. It's an average investor may take a statement made by an employee as if it were a statement made by the company uh, because that person's identifying him or herself when posting as affiliated with the company. And so most companies go to great lengths to try and uh, encourage and train employees not to post on their private social media accounts about anything that's business related so that the company is not liable for the statements that are made by employees. And generally, companies establish a communications policy and only a handful of very senior employees of the company are the ones that are 
allowed to post on the company's behalf. Are there any downsides to having the SEC and FTC enforce more regulations with social media influencing? You know, at Chicago, we love to talk about costs. So what are some potential costs to consumers? And do these outweigh the potential benefits of more disclosure? So um, certainly, it's a difficult regulatory challenge. So as I noted, it's going to be very difficult for agencies to regulate the content of speech and to regulate the content of what is permissible um, speech on social media channels. Likewise, um, social media platforms themselves take very divergent views about the extent to which they curate content, limit or censor content. So it's a challenging area for any regulator to tackle. Uh, There's also obviously some benefit to be drawn from kind of the wisdom of crowds. If particular users of a product have information about the product, good or bad, that obviously can be very useful to consumers generally and to the market and perhaps ought to, on some theory, be reflected and be available on uh, a broad basis without being subject to regulation. And of course, there's absolutely no indication that Kylie Jenner did anything wrong. But if she had, would that have been illegal? Would that have been something the FTC or SEC could have come after her for? I think that there's two different arguments that a government regulator can make. One would be easier to make than the other one because of the facts. If she had, in fact, had a put option, then in that case, it would be easy to say that her motive for having made this statement, which turns out to be false, that is, we have evidence that she didn't cease using the product, that she actually was using it more, for example, and that she said this, and she did it because on the, on the cusp of doing this, on the eve of doing this, she had engaged in... Um, put option, bought a put option. You put those two facts together, it's a strong inference that her motive was to make money. And therefore, that would satisfy the requirement of the uh, government regulators, such as the SEC, alleging that she engaged in wrongful stock manipulation in in connection with the the, the purchase and sale of the security, okay? And so that that would be the easy case, okay? And it, the e- that's an easier case, let's put it that way, because you have all these circumstantial facts that, uh, one, that she engaged in a put position before she made the statement, that she made the statement, and that she didn't discontinue, for example, her use of, of her phone. Um, in fact, she had remarked to her neighbor how happy she was with this, with this app, okay? And so all of that would point to the fact that her intent must have been to make money, and therefore you have the requisite intent to engage in manipulation. It's a harder case if you didn't have her trading in a security. And because all you have then is you have a statement that turns out to be false, and it's going to be very easy for her to say, well, uh, everything I knew, my judgment said it was a, a bad idea. It was a bad, it's, a, it's a bad app, and my experience has been that, okay? So it's very hard to say she had a a bad motive. So manipulation is a motive violation. And the government doesn't prosecute very many manipulation cases uh, because the facts usually don't line up as neatly as the one that we had where we said that she was continuing to use the app and that she, before making her negative statement, she had taken a trading position 
that would have been furthered had the stock go down. Okay. So this goes back. This is not a new theory. This goes back to the Supreme Court. One of the very first early securities regulations cases was in the 1960s, uh, Capital Gains Research Bureau, in which the Supreme Court dealt with exactly this problem. You had somebody who was labeled an investment advisor and was taking a position in securities uh, before recommending them. And then shortly after making recommendations, as the security went up, the investment advisor would sell them. And if they went down, they would buy them at a lower price. And so this gave rise to an expression called scalping. And it's a scalping violation arises when you have a market professional, a broker dealer, uh, a investment advisor who has a position of trust and confidence to his or her clientele and makes recommendations about buying stocks or selling stocks, but without disclosing that they have a position in the security that they will change if the stock price reacts in a way to their recommendation. So it's a, that's a misrepresentation case. Okay. I guess we're especially in this context, not necessarily concerned about influencers and celebrities. I mean, they're not necessarily sophisticated investment professionals, but it seems like there's a lot of ways CEOs or heads of companies could particularly abuse this. I'm thinking of the case of Whole Foods, where the Whole Foods CEO, while they were engaging in a deal to acquire, I think it was Wild Wild Oats, the CEO is tweeting out information about wild oats to try to get the share price to go down. But the SEC didn't take action over that. Why not? You know, it's a couple of reasons that they may have thought the case didn't have the legs necessary to be able to make it out even in an administrative enforcement proceeding or in a court. The CEO uh, could could well have thought that, yes, there's a, there are all these negative points. At the same time, there are some positive points that we were saying at the same time. So na- my guess, it was mainly the facts that drove the case. You know, a, a, a great illustration of this uh, is the following. And that is that for almost a five-year period, a hedge fund, Pershing Investors, had been bad-mouthing the stock of Herbalife, okay? And saying that Herbalife was essentially a Ponzi scheme, a pyramid scheme that and its whole marketing effort and had. But while making those statements was also at the same time selling short, that is selling stock in that company that it did not own. That is, it was betting that the stock would go down in price. When Bill Ackman, the head of Pershing Square, started making these statements, Herbalife stock was at 45. It, Ackman did say that we have a short position. So that's the difference. If you announce what your position is going to be, then it looks like you're not conning anybody because everybody sits there and says, aha, Ackman or Pershing Square is just trying to make some money and they're bad-mouthing the stock to make it go down and they'll make some money. Well, what happened is over five years period, the stock went from 45 to 92. And at that point, they had lost over a billion dollars in their trading position and finally gave up the fight. It could also be, therefore, you know, I don't call crisply the facts of the uh, surrounding situations involving wild oats, but it could well be that the SEC decided that everybody knew that this was a merger that's being negotiated between Whole Foods and wild oats, and that Whole Foods had a interest in trying to drive the stock price down. And that it was equally uh, the interest of wild oats at that point to counter that 
And so that the market was never really duped, even though the behavior was perhaps wrongful. Have there been any specific Reg FD enforcement actions with social media private accounts to date? So there's a report of investigation relating to Netflix and Reed Hastings that goes back a few years. Obviously, he is was an employee of the company and uh, was posting information to his own account, as opposed to the company's account. And followers of his, whether through Facebook or otherwise, had access to information that he was posting, whereas general public didn't necessarily know to look on his Facebook for information about the company. So that's a very particular set of circumstances, and it relates to somebody, obviously, who is heading a company as opposed to a social media influencer or somebody who is giving paid endorsements. But it's indicative of the same general principle. And that is that if somebody is speaking for or on behalf of a company because they've been paid to be a brand ambassador, then the company may have liability for the content of their posts. And so what was the outcome of that enforcement action? Was it just an investigation? It it was not an enforcement action. That was just uh, an investigation that the SEC undertook. And uh, they published a report. And in the report, there's very useful guidance about how the SEC views the usage of social media in the context of the securities laws. That's so interesting. So would that also apply generally to companies posting any information on their social media or just, you know, if Netflix on its own social media page posts information about the company, would that violate Reg FD or is it really just because some individual was posting the information? So public companies need to make clear to the public, to investors, which accounts they'll be relying on as venues for communicating information that's material to the company. So maybe it's just the website. Maybe they identify the website, their LinkedIn account, and a Facebook account. Um, And that way, investors know any of those venues are fair game for the company to disseminate information. And that way, investors know where to look. Do you have any other cases of market manipulation with high-profile celebrities or CEOs? You know, it's not clear to me that we just have to do this with uh, high-profile individuals. That we had an instance which happened here, I'm sitting right in Durham, North Carolina. So 30 miles away from me is the town of Raleigh. And Raleigh, North Carolina had an individual who was actually, I believe, 18 years old, who posted on various chat rooms false information about a publicly traded firm and uh, caused the stock price to change. It was also somebody who had taken a position in the stocks. I can't remember if that was a put option, betting it was going to go down, or a call option, which is the reverse, that it's going to go up. But in either of those cases, they were able to trace that and prosecute the individual. Again, it sounded much like the case we're talking about. Uh, and the, the beauty for the um, enforcement team of trading and options is that they're very traceable. Uh, it's much more difficult to figure out if you're just buying stock through a broker. Uh, I mean, who's trading? But there's a better paper trail in the case of derivatives trading just because of the nature of the instrument uh, to trace people. So they were able to find this person and trace him down 
And, you know, he was prosecuted. He didn't go to jail, but uh, as I recall, uh, but had to pay a fine and then was on probation for some period of time. So it was a, not just a uh, SEC prosecution, it was criminal. So the SEC and FTC both have different mandates. FTC is more focused on consumer protection. SEC is more focused on securities regulation. What are the FTC and SEC's different concerns when it comes to this topic, and how do they both go about enforcing it differently? I think their orientation is the SEC is focused on, obviously, the investors you mentioned correctly. I think that the Federal Trade Commission, where I actually first started working when I got to law school, uh, our focus when I was there was in part consumer protection, but also about maintaining a fair competitive markets. And so some of the question is whether this is just a matter of duping consumers so they think they're buying a product uh, that has certain qualities, but it lacks those qualities. But it could also be the fact that if this conduct is engaged in by, for example, a manufacturer, is it anti-competitive? So most of the work I did there was focused on trying to facilitate fair level playing field for competition to occur and, uh, and making sure that the consumers then had adequate information to then determine competitor A against competitor B. This has been Briefly, a production of the University of Chicago Law Review. Follow us on Twitter at UchiLRev and like us on Facebook. You can find more episodes of Briefly on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play.